0: Well, to bring you up to date, we are in the third week of a three-week sermon series under the title, the series title, Devoted. Devoted um, is a translation of a very dynamic, passionate verb in the second chapter of Acts, the 42nd verse, where we learn that after the the birth of the church and the inclusion of 3,000 immediately baptized New Jewish, now Jewish Christians. Uh, they, we learned that they were devoted, passionately devoted to four spiritual habits. Um, I remind folks that uh, there's got to be a reason why you're passionately devoted to spiritual habits, and I would offer to you the reason is they kept on having encounters with the risen Lord through the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread. And the prayers, the Apostles' teaching is their engagement with the Bible and God's Word. Uh, The fellowship, koinonia, uh, it was small groups then as it is small groups now. Uh, They met in homes. uh, All through the book of Acts we hear of accounts and stories that they're meeting in homes in smaller groups and powerful things happening. And um, this morning to speak on this last Sunday of this series of the last two spiritual habits briefly, uh, the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Now, we've heard two readings this morning that include stories of breaking of bread. One is from 1 Corinthians, and one is from the 24th chapter of Luke's Gospel. And you might say it like this If we are, um, and we are, going to launch Life Groups, a new model of small group life here at St. Paul's, which we hope will be even more expansive and more inclusive of uh, the entire St. Paul's family. Uh, We at least pray and have a vision and dream that we will more and more be a church of small groups and not merely a church with small groups because we have discovered the power and the impact of small group uh, life. But here in Corinthians, you might say, this is how not to have a small group. And in Luke's Gospel, this is how to have a small group prosper and succeed. Now, with all fairness to this Corinthian church, these new converts in a port town in a city known for the worst kind of lifestyle and living, it's probably something like New Orleans multiplied ten times or something like that. And New Orleans can go pretty, get pretty dark at times with uh, lifestyles, behaviors, <coughs> and habits there. It comes <coughs> to that great southern city, but um, it is what it is. And uh, Corinth was worse. And so out of the dregs of that humanity of addicts, drug pushers, promiscuity, and prostitution came converts to the Christian faith. It must have been quite amazing to reach into that dark place with the light of Christ and see life begin to change. But you know, it takes a while to get yourself on the right track if you've been way off. It can take a long time. And you know, Lord, I ain't what I ought to be or want to be, but thanks, Lord, I ain't what I used to be. And that's what we have in Corinth. And so Paul is writing a very sharp letter to a group of individuals that he loves very much and telling them how not to do it. So, in the following directives, he begins, as we heard in the reading this morning, what does he say? I have no praise for you. You know, Paul is very willing to give thanks and praise for uh, people's lives and uh, people who are witnesses of Christ. And so this is a very stern word uh, coming from the other end of the spectrum. I have no praise for you. Your meetings do more harm than good. Might as well just shut down the whole small group ministry. And any gathering as well, your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, that church word is the Greek ekklesia, which means the called together faithful. So when they came together as the faithful, there are divisions among you. Imagine that, divisions in a church. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Well... A little bit of the pot calling the kettle black. There are divisions among you. Now this is a complex passage, and I'm not going to try to unpack it verse by verse, but let's get this part of it. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. So there are rich and poor in this community, and the rich are indifferent to the needs others there who don't even have food to put on the table or food to bring and they go ahead it's kind of hard to imagine that culturally but that apparently is what's happening it's hard to imagine because we're hearing one side of the story we're getting Paul's you know corrective to the uh, actual accounts he's heard we haven't heard those accounts firsthand but uh, 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 let's see this uh, there is in this community of relationships indifference social demarcation and classism, elitism, snobbery. And Paul says, that won't do. That is not the body of Christ. In contrast, think about the Gospel of Luke. There was a small group of two on the road to Emmaus, but they're not a small group of two for long. Jesus himself comes alongside of them, and he uh, begins to interview them, Jesus is all about them. Interesting, the very different contrast and intentional uh, stepping into their lives and engaging them. Imagine any of us doing the same thing uh, to a guest or stranger or friend. And uh, as they begin to respond, he is uh, a conversation and relationships are established and Jesus uses scripture... Um, Beginning with Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, must have been an incredible conversation. And the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, and the minor prophets, um, Haggai and Zechariah and Zephaniah and Malachi, he explains the whole unfolding drama of redemption, of how the Christ must suffer and die, and then be raised again. They come to a place to stop for the night. They've been so blessed by this stranger whom they do not recognize. They invite him in. And at the breaking of the bread, that third spiritual habit as well, they bring them in. They serve a meal. Jesus takes the bread as he did on so many other occasions. Same actions. When he fed the 5,000, when he fed the 4,000, at the last supper... He took the breath. He gave thanks. He broke it. And he gave it to them. And mysteriously, beyond intellectual comprehension, but certainly within the comprehension of our hearts, it becomes clearly apparent that Jesus himself is with them, the risen Lord. It's always helpful to see how people react to that and respond to that, and usually it's a Thrilled heart and their heart is so thrilled they have gone downhill for seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus it is now nightfall and they turn around and make a beeline back up a very significant climb even though it's after nightfall to tell others their experience of an encounter with Jesus and of course when they meet the others The others tell them first of their encounter with Jesus, and then they say, well, it has happened to us too. The Lord is risen indeed. So this idea of fellowship is so integral to the life of the Christian, and it can only be partially accomplished in a setting like this with perhaps 80 or 90 or 100 folks here this morning, or 150 there this morning, because of, uh, it, it doesn't promote a level of conversation and intimacy except something like this. But in a home with seven or eight or five or six or even two or three, the Lord Jesus says, when two or three gather together my name, there am I in the midst of them. And their conversations can be had and conversations over time that go deep. And so in a fifth week or an eighth week of a small group conversation around the Bible and around God's word, and the sharing, somebody finally decides to take a risk and saying, I may lose my job this week. I'm scared. Or someone says, we are really struggling with our marriage. We need help. Or someone says, I don't know what to do. We're having such difficulties with our teenage son." And small groups are not a place for fixing anybody or anything. But small groups are a place for prayer and for solace and for comfort through the valley walks. It's powerful. It's also a place for celebration, for the mountaintop, uh, the, the mountaintop uh, victory stories and witnesses. So if you can imagine uh, these four spiritual habits again, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching that that the Bible was essential in their lives for nourishment and food. The fellowship, a small group setting where they met regularly to care for one another and not like the Corinthians church, but like this Emmaus church, if you will, this Emmaus group of Christians, to be intentional about others and their needs as they are intentional to you and your needs and the breaking of bread an image of food great love laughter caring and communion table fellowship we all love it here in somerville and i suppose it's loved everywhere to have friends over to sit around a table for food and fellowship it is a great pastime and in the life of the christian it is further enriched when they're that intentional gathering of brothers and sisters in Christ for Bible study and fellowship and break the bread. And prayers inevitably follow. Prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of gratitude, prayers of praise, and prayers of petition and intercession as well for one another crying out to the Lord. So, It's now the 21st century. The church has been in place since those early days of Acts, chapter 2. And some things never change. And one of them is the effective impact of Christians gathered together in small group settings in their homes. So we um, are taking a step up and out and uh, shaping these What we have named life groups to live life together with a group of other brothers and sisters who will we will grow closer and closer to I would anticipate to enjoy that time of Bible reflection and mutual care and support prayers and bread broken and shared so after Labor Day the following Sunday a we hope or well, we will prepare for a very large gathering in door hall to inaugurate and initiate life groups. A launch. What do you think will be there? Well, I promise you, food. Because we're going to break bread together. And there will be some fellowship. And there will be some worship. And we'll see the Bible before our eyes in one way or another. And we'll be expectant that the Lord Jesus, the unseen though present Lord, will certainly be there as well. It will be shown through his Holy Spirit's activity that night. And after September 8th, we expect on uh, the following week for life groups to be launched in birth here, there, and everywhere. And all we can do is invite you. You have to decide whether you are in or out. But the invitation is extended to every one of you, to your Uh, As adults, to you, to families, if you wish to include children, we are creating mechanisms for enabling that. Or if it's an adult night out and the children stay home, we will have means and vehicles for that as well. We will work that out with you. Come and find out what all that looks like on Sunday, September 8th. And on the porch this morning, on a table out there, will be opportunities for you to sign up for a life group. It's not the last opportunity. But we'll put it right under your nose, and you can decide what you would like to do about that. So the Corinthian church had to be redirected about their small groups. And Paul said, I have no praise for how you all are doing this. In the story of the road to Emmaus, in the story of the return to Jerusalem, we hear life, love, power, the Lord Jesus' presence. May that be our experience this fall as well. Again. Amen.